on the second and fourth Sundays of the month. Uh, Our children are dismissed to children's choir. And so just before you move, children, they're so anxious. Finally, we can go. This morning, we praise can be dismissed. We praise, which is first, second, and I believe third grade. You can be dismissed. Extreme kids, you're going to have to kind of sit this morning and stay with us this morning. Okay? All right. See what I meant? All right. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. Before we dig into God's word today, uh, as we're preaching a series on the church, a glorious church, and we're going to continue with that series this morning, uh, I just want to stop and be able to have a word of prayer together. And um, there's a couple that was part of the founding and the beginning of this church, Carrie and Karen Briggs. And Carrie and Karen um, have two children who are now adults and both married and uh, their daughter with a, a new little baby. And um, Karen uh, is with the Lord this morning. Uh, she was involved in a car accident late Thursday night. And um, known Karen a lot of years, and they were part of the fellowship here for a while. And a lot of you are shaking your heads because you know who they are. And um, I'd like us to stop and just pray for the family today. Uh, Karen has a twin sister. Her name is Carol. And uh, Carol is here with her husband uh, in the area and uh, going through a very, very difficult time, as you could imagine. Some of you saw the write-up in the Beacon or, or Ohio.com and you saw the accident that happened on I-76 Thursday night. That was Karen, uh, what took place there. And uh, so very, very tragic and surprising event. And But you know what? The Lord knows. The Lord knows and he sees and he understands. And I know several of us in the body over the season of the last six months have asked a lot of questions. Uh, why and all of that kind of thing. And the thing that comes to me as I pray over and over is this. Be ready. Be ready. We cannot discern and know the ways of the Lord. Nor the things or circumstances that take place in our life. Those things will be hard for us to understand. (coughs) Excuse me. But one thing that we can be certain of is our readiness for our moment, whenever that will be. And so I just encourage you as believers today, make sure you're ready. Make sure that you're in fellowship with the Lord. Make sure that your heart is in in a place of humility before him and be ready. Be ready. Life is a vapor and there's much that we don't understand about the vapor of life. But we do know this, that we can be ready to stand before the Lord when he calls for us. So let's pray for the Briggs family today and uh, their extended family. Father, 
we come before you as a body of believers today, knowing that Karen is in your presence today, for she believed in Jesus Christ as her Savior, and she followed and loved him. And so now, Lord, we know that she is in your presence, whole and complete. And Lord, now we remember the family, Carrie, her husband, her two children, Jordan and Leah, their spouses, and her her grandchild. Lord, we pray for them, for Carol, her sister, and her brother-in-law, Brad, and her brother, Ronnie. Lord, we lift them before you today. Because we know, Lord, that you know how to bring comfort and grace in our deepest sorrow. And so, Lord, today, for wherever their sorrow is, you are deeper still. Wherever their pain is, you, your grace is deeper still. And so, Lord, I pray that you will come underneath their lives and hold them, carry them. And, Lord, may the presence of Jesus be real and tangible in that family, Lord, as they move through these days, Lord, of, of grieving and loss, be close to them, I pray in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen, amen. First Corinthians 12 is where you should be this morning. <clears throat> We've been talking about the church of Jesus Christ and the glorious church that he is desiring to build here on the earth. It's not just a sweet by and by image. That when we get to heaven, we will be a glorious church. Well, of course we will. Everything will be made right. But he has in mind here on the earth that his church become radiant, beautiful, glorious, attention-getting, uh, awe-inspiring, standing out, noticed, just like you would notice a bride entering the room this morning. The bride of Jesus Christ is what God desires on the earth to be noticed, to be recognized, and to be radiant. We've talked about how that the bride of Jesus, the, the glorious church that he is creating, it was supernaturally revealed in Matthew 16, 16. Remember the words of Peter when he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus then turned and said, Peter, it is upon this rock that I will build my church. Upon this supernatural revelation from the Father that you've just spoken out among all of us. It's that confession right there. I'm going to take that confession and I'm going to build a movement. I'm going to build a following. And isn't it amazing? Some 2,000 years ago, there's still a movement. There's still a following. There's still a church. Jesus meant for it to be a supernatural church coming through the revelation of the Father to Peter on that day. Not only is the church to be a supernaturally revealed church, but the church is to be a divinely led church. We talked last week about Colossians 1, how that Christ is the boss of the church. He's the head. He's the leader. He's the overseer. The direction comes from him. The life comes from him. And we as the body are to be properly connected to the head because we find our life and our direction and our guidance from the head, Christ is the head of the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. The denominational leaders are not the head of the church. There is no man. There is no woman. There is no elder board that is the head of the church. There's only one head, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
And it's our place as the body to be fitted in receiving the life and receiving the direction from the head of the church. It's Christ. So not only is the church to be supernaturally revealed, not only is it to be divinely led, but today we're going to focus on the church is to be personally experienced. Oftentimes we hear about the church universal, the mystical church, that union of Christ, with Christ that's a very spiritual and a very mystical picture. But this morning we're going to bring that picture down into some practical evidences of the body of Christ in the earth. The body of Christ should be personally experienced by you and by me. Church should not just be a gathering place on Sundays that you walk in 1015 or after 1030 or after and watch the clock and at noon. I've been to church. Well, yes and no. You've been to a gathering of like-minded and like-hearted people, but have you really been the church? Have you experienced personally the power of the church of God? In attendance, maybe, maybe not. But we are all to be personally experiencing and connected to the church. In fact, the church is called by the Apostle Paul. We're going to see in chapter 12. He calls the church the body of Christ. He uses that imagery. He uses that picture. And it's more than just a picture. He wasn't looking through a book of human anatomy and physiology one day and going, hmm, I think that it would be a pretty cool analogy that if I'm going to write in Corinthians about the body, I could I could make some parallels here. What a cool image. No, the Apostle Paul wasn't looking in a human anatomy and physiology book for his illustration. He was looking back into the gospel message. He was looking back into the table of Christ. He was looking back at the Passover and he was gaining understanding there. And we heard the verses in Matthew 26 this morning as we observed communion about the whole the whole root of of the body of Christ. The whole the whole foundation, the starting place of understanding what it means to be the body of Christ. Remember at the Passover, the Last Supper in Matthew 26 and in Mark 14 and in Luke 22, 22, Jesus says this. Remember when we heard about the about the bread this morning, this is my body broken for you. And when you take it, remember me. And this is the cup, my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus reveals to his disciples that the nature of his body, the nature of what he did was out of brokenness and giving. And he even talked about being poured out. This, my friend, was the body of Christ. And aren't you glad today I am that he poured it out, that he allowed it to be broken and given and released for you and for me, for our substitution. His body was treated in that fashion for us. 
And it's from that imagery that Paul begins to write to the church about being now the body of Christ. Could it be that Paul has in mind the idea of being given, the idea of being broken, the idea of being poured out? That if we indeed are the body of Christ, There should be a nature within our lives as his body that we are being given and poured and broken for the world. Something to think about this morning as we look at the root of what it means to be the body of Christ. So that's the body revealed. There's a body that's remembered. If you're in 1 Corinthians 12, let's just go back a page to the end of chapter 11. Because Paul's instructing the Corinthians there about what it means to take what we call communion or to observe communion together. If you would look with me at verse 25. After he talks about what Christ's physical body did for us, how it was broken and poured out, he says in the same way after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul admonishes the Corinthians through communion that to remember the body of Christ and also to proclaim the body of Christ. That is what the body of Christ is designated to do or to be, not only to be broken and given, but also to be remembered and preached or proclaimed. When you took communion today, you preached a message. The message you were preaching is Jesus Christ, the one and only son of God, broken, given, wounded, bleeding, dying for me. You preached that sermon today when you took communion. So communion, the body of Christ, is to be remembered and it's also to be preached. Now we move over to the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. The body of Christ is to be realized. The body of Christ is to, for you and I, to be experienced and to be realized. Not just thought about, conceived, realized that it exists, but we are to be experiencers of the body of Christ. Verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Paul begins by describing the body of Christ. What is the nature of the body of Christ? He first of all talks in verses 12 and 13 that we are together the body of Christ. It is not I am the body of Christ or you are the body of Christ. He's talking to the Corinthians there that 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 the relationship with Christ is not an individualistic relationship. 
although we all have a relationship to the head. Just like in your physical body. Put your left thumb up for just a minute. It's a little hard for me. I have a little tendonitis in my left thumb, so it's screaming at me, which is a good illustration this morning for the body. Okay? Your left thumb has a purpose. It has its own connection to the head. But take only your left thumb and live this life this week, and I want to see how far you'll get. The parking lot will be a chaotic mess after church. Can you see only left thumbs on the steering wheel? You know, some of you already do that. I had a dad that used to drive kind of with the palm of his hand kind of a thing, you know. But really, the left thumb was designed to have an index finger and a middle finger and a ring finger and a pinky and a palm. It was designed to be connected to a hand and that that hand would have strength and power within itself. The body of Christ is never meant to be singularly identified. We are, like it or not, the body of Christ. Look at the person to your left. They are part of the body of Christ. How does that make you feel? You happy about that? Yeah, they're an okay person. I guess they can. They're all right. Now look to the right. Oh, now, I don't know. The body of Christ. not something to qualify for, have an IQ that you have to meet, a skill set that you have to be able to perform, a social class that you have to make your way into. It's not a certain way that you look. It's not a certain thing that you do. If you know Christ personally, you are in the body of Christ. We together are the body of Christ, not meant to be individualistic but meant to be community. Christianity is an us faith, not an I faith. Christianity is an us faith, not an I faith. Because Paul uses words like unit, verse 12. He uses words like one, one body, one spirit. He's saying that there are many, but the cooperation and the coming together of the many Come into the one, the one body, the one unit, the one spirit. Yet he goes on to talk about the body being made up of diverse parts. Look at 14 with me. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Okay, and I think he might have been talking to folks that thought they had it in Corinth. You know, I have the most important function of the body. It's me. It's all about me. I'm the preacher, I'm the teacher, I'm the, I'm the one through, healings, through which healings come, I, I, I'm, I'm the one that ministers, it, it's me, it, it's all about me. And, and Paul just blows that myth away. He says, no, there's not just one part. He says the body is made up of many parts. He's saying that the body is diverse and the body is to be appreciated and valued not disregarded or dismembered through comparison. Because that whole paragraph there talks about the comparison. Look on at verse 15 with me. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Whatever part you are, it was because God designed you to be that. However you fit into the body, a significant a perceived significant part, a part of less importance. Whatever part that you belong to, whatever part that you play, it's not to be discarded or seemed as unimportant by comparison. And people are good at comparisons. I'm good at them. Are you? I'm not as as they are. Look at them compared to me. They have, I don't, they are, I'm not. That must be preferred, therefore I must not be preferred. All of that is comparison. And Paul is saying in this paragraph, don't compare. Don't compare your place in the body to someone else and thus think, I don't have a place or I don't belong. Because a body without feet is crippled, and the body is unable to move. You see, a body without eyesight is unable to see vision and to see the future and to have insight into what God has for the body. You see, a body without hearing is unable to hear the directives of the Lord. A body without hands are unable to serve. So if you think of yourself and the place that you serve in the body, you are important. You belong to the body. The body is what it is because of you and because of what you bring to the body. The opposite is true. Take your gift and your place in the body and leave the body and the body is weaker. If you are a hand in the body and you serve and you give and you remove that giving and you remove that hand from the body, well, then we're We're deficient. We're lacking. There's something missing. Well, oh, you've got another hand. Don't worry. I'm just one. If I don't show up, it's not a big deal. You've got another one. It'll just have to work a little bit harder. No, God designed the body to have two. God designed the body to be using two, to be active with two. So you as the hand are important to the body. Don't leave the body. Don't become a dismembered part because not only will the hand that's dismembered not function for long, but we as the body will miss the hand and will miss the functioning of the hand. You belong to us. Remember, the body of Christ is not individualistic. The body of Christ is together. Together we are. The body of Christ. It's important. You see, diversity in the body is God's idea. He's not into a cookie cutter approach. He doesn't want you to look like me. He doesn't want me to be like you. He doesn't want you to be exactly the same as the person that you think is spiritual within the body. He doesn't want you to be exactly like anyone else and what they do within the body. He made the body diverse for reasons. And the important thing for us to do as as the body is to appreciate the diversity. 
is to appreciate and embrace and love and support those that are so much different than we are. Look around for a minute. Do you see anybody that's different than you are in the room? You may look at some folks and say, well, they're kind of like me. We, we have similarities. We serve in the same sort of ways. We love, we love people in the same sort of ways. But really, God has made us to be diverse, to be different. It was God's idea, and it's, it's a complementary relationship that we are to have. And it should cause us to be grateful, not grudgeful. Grateful for difference. When we see difference in people, it's not so that we'll get them to be like us, because we've got it all. We're, we're the pinnacle of spirituality. We're the pinnacle of right living. We're the, we've got it all. We've got the character is all within us. Oh, that I could get everyone else to line up and become like me. Oh, no. Then we've pitched the beauty of a diversity to the side instead of embracing the diversity that we have. So the body in verse 21, as we move through the passage here, the body is created for interdependence, not independence. The body is created for interdependence, not independence. There are so many folks who are believers in Christ who are away from the church. I've been going to a lot of funerals and calling hours. How about you? (laughs) Too many. But when you go to those type of events, you see people you haven't seen in a long time. Kind of pulls everybody together. When you begin to talk with people, and I've done a lot of talking with people over the course of the last six months, people that I know that love the Lord, serve the Lord, they're, they're trying to walk with the Lord and you begin to talk to them and you say, OK, like where, where are you going to church? What body of Christ locally are you a part of? Well, we really aren't. We, we're, we're really not going to church, really going to church anywhere. We're, we're kind of like we kind of have our own church. We kind of have our own church at home, you know, bedside Baptist. Ha 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 ha. And everybody laughs like that's supposed to be cute. Ah. We worship the Lord, you know, we just turn on to our Bibles in the morning over our cup of coffee at home. And I think what a travesty. Because you are the body of Christ and there's a local fellowship somewhere where you can be blessed and where you can be a blessing. You weren't created to be independent. You were created to be interdependent. And when we become independent of the church body, things happen to us. Just like if I were to take my arm today and say, Kenny, come up here with an axe and just take it right off. You guys would all just, oh, I can't stand to watch that. There's going to be blood everywhere. This is going to be a mess. Go ahead, Kenny, right here. Just bring the axe down right here on my arm. Just take it off. I don't need this body. My arm is fine on its own. My arm can function by itself. I have everything that I need. I have fingers. I have blood. I have skin. I have movement. I can just do it on my own. Until that X came down on my arm. And then we'd see how well that arm would do. All alone. Once it quit dancing around in front of you. 
because the nerve in it would be going crazy. The custodian tomorrow would have to come and put it in the dumpster. Why? You remove yourself from the life-giving power of the head and of the body when you remove yourself. When you remove yourself from the fellowship, from the attendance, from the participation in the body, it's a serious thing. And something serious will happen to you if you do it. Why? Because you were not created to live independently of the body. It wasn't what you were created to do. That's something our American mindset tells us. Oh, you know what? You know, church, you know. I can do church a little bit. I don't need to. I don't really. I have a Bible. I can read it. You know, I have, I have Christian TV. I can watch it. I have things that I can read. I'll read some books. Let me just tell you, your spiritual life will be in jeopardy. I'm just telling you right now, your spiritual life will be in jeopardy if you become independent of the body of Christ. It wasn't meant to be that way. It wasn't meant to be that way. You cannot be the body of Christ alone. Because what happens is the relationship that you have to the head will begin to be affected. And what happens, and I see this regularly, when people get away from fellowship from the church, their life gets confusing. And their life gets directionless. And they don't know what to do. And they don't know where to go. And they begin to be confused. Why? They've, they've interrupted the relationship with the head. And the head is Christ, and he's the one that provides direction. And if you take yourself out of the body and the fellowship of the body, then you've removed yourself from a source of direction. No wonder life is crazy. No wonder people don't know what to do as believers. There's a disconnection. There's an interruption from the head and from the body. It's, a, it's painful to be a dismembered part of the body. There are a lot of people today who are in a painful place because they, through a series of choices, have removed themselves from an active local body of believers. And they're in a very painful place. I'm going to tell you, you cannot exist alone. You weren't made for it. You aren't the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And then finally, as we move down to the end of this passage, verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Did you catch it at the beginning of that verse? The weaker members are indispensable. We cannot do without the weaker. This is not survival of the fittest. 
The body of Christ is not, well, there's some weaker members and we've stamped them as weaker for whatever reason we think they are. They're dispensable. If something happens that they get away from the body, oh, well, they should have worked a little harder. My friends, the body of Christ is not the survival of the fittest. It's the preference of the weaker. The body of Christ should be with eyes open, looking for the weaker in order to honor, in order to support, in order to help, in order to come alongside of. They are indispensable to us. And I think that there's some reasons why. Because it confronts our pride. It confronts our pride about how the body should look. Well, the body should look a certain way and have certain people with certain economic statuses. And the body should should look a certain way in its physical makeup. And it should look a certain way in its in its socioeconomical makeup. It, it should have a certain look about it. And Paul's shooting that to the ground. He's saying whatever your picture of this beautiful church as you see it is, what I'm saying to you is, There are weaker members among you, and they are indispensable. They have value. And you should not, and you do not discard them. And you do not look away from them. Because he's calling for us to care for others that aren't like us. Isn't that true? Oh, I want to care for people that are like me. Well, we can all do the, we can all do the, they're like me people. We can all do that. You know, I want to go to church to be with the people that are like me, my friends, the people that see things my way, the people that have my theology, the people that love things that I love. Oh, that's a piece of cake. Anybody can do that. We are called to something deeper than that. We are called to be with people that aren't like us, that see things differently than we do, that have different opinions, different likes and dislikes. We are called to care for one another in our differences, not only in our similarities. Why? Because Paul envisions the body of Christ as being without division. There should be no divisions. There should be no separations. There should be no us's and them's. Our people and their people. Our group and their group. The things that we appreciate and the things that they appreciate. There shouldn't be divisions, things that separate us and push us away from one another. And there should be no superiority mentality. We are the ones that have arrived. We are the ones that are in the right place. No division, Paul says. No division. Because he goes on in that last verse. For if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Think about your human body. I have a little tendonitis in my left thumb. And sometimes in the middle of the night when I'm turning in bed, that little thumb screams out to me so much that my whole body wakes up. I'm thinking, what's the big deal? It's a little tendon about two inches long at the base of my thumb. Why would that affect my whole sleeping pattern? Because it's part of my body. And one part suffers, my whole body knows about it. Isn't that true with yours? One little part suffers, and your whole body suffers. 
So it is with the body of Christ. If we have a suffering part, then we all should suffer. We all should have a connection point. And on the converse, and this might even be the harder part of the verse. He says, if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That really strips out jealousy right there. When something goes great for you, when you are blessed, when God answers your prayer, when God pours out his blessing, when God elevates you, when God promotes you, when God answers a major prayer in your life, my response is, yeah, not, well, I've been praying a lot harder over here for the things that I've wanted. I just can't believe it. I mean, I know I'm, a, I'm, I'm far more obedient. I'm in the word more than they are. I'm calling on the name of Jesus every Monday in prayer. I just can't believe it. No. You know, if there's a pastor in this area and they see a surge of growth in their church, my response, biblically, praise the Lord. We're in this together. They are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. They're seeing salvation. We are seeing salvation. Praise the Lord. There shouldn't be the green monster of jealousy rising up. But isn't that what happens to us? And rather than the green monster of rising up, we should say, you know, Lord, I'm going to rejoice with them. I praise the Lord. They got an increase. They got a promotion. Praise the Lord for that. They're engaged and I'm not. Praise the Lord for that. I don't know. I just kind of thought I'd throw that one in. Try to appeal to all the generations. We are the body of Christ. And when we don't share in all of those places with one another, then there becomes divisions, separations, things that come between us. Difficult to be together. Difficult to talk to different people. We do the... Well, he's going down that aisle, so I'm going to go down this aisle. I love them. I love them. I love them. Divisions happen subtly. They start small. It doesn't start with, oh, so-and-so and I have a division between the two of us. No, it starts subtly. It starts with a thought, and then it moves to a word, then it moves to an action, and then pretty soon there's a division. Remedy for division is identification. I identify with you. You are going through something tough. I'm going through something tough. You are rejoicing. I am rejoicing. I believe in you. And the reason I believe in you is you're connected to me. And if I believe in you, guess who else I'm believing in? Me. Sounds a little selfish, doesn't it? Kind of works out nice that way. If I support you and I encourage you, guess what I'm doing? I'm supporting me. I'm encouraging me because we're a body together. No divisions. Praise the Lord. So this morning, are you the body of Christ? Are you in the body of Christ? One faith, one Lord, one baptism. That's the way in. One faith in Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. One baptism. By him into the body of Christ, by the spirit of God. If you've come that way, you are, we are the body of Christ. 
How is that truth evidenced in your life today? It's not just a concept. It's just not an idea that you buy into. Oh, yeah, I'm in the body of Christ. How does that look? Because for every truth that you believe in, there should be an evidence of it in your life. Oh, I believe that God's a good God and he's generous and I believe in giving. Okay, let's look in the offering bag. Let's see the evidence. There should be evidence. So if you're in the body of Christ today, what's the evidence? What's the evidence of your residency in the body of Christ? Here's some practical things. I'm just going to bring it down. Does your attendance to the body of Christ and to the worship service evidence to the to the body that you are a part of the body of Christ? Attendance here sounds so simple and so practical, but I'm going to be simple and practical this morning. That evidences to the Lord and to others that you belong to the body of Christ. There are folks today that go to two or three different churches. Because of this consumer mentality that exists in our nation. We look at churches like we look at the next piece of electronic equipment that we own. Now, I own a dinosaur phone. You know, just those simple ones. I got the, the, I got the keyboard that slides out finally. Ooh, yeah, right. Whoa. I'm on the cutting edge. I just want to tell you. How far I live on the cutting edge. I, I have the little panel that, that pops out and I can I can text in half the time than I used to be able to. But you walk into a Verizon store with a little dinosaur and the first thing that they do is they want to tell you why that dinosaur is no longer good enough for you. And here's the smartphone and here's the this and here's the that. Let me tell you this and let me show you this and all the gadgets and all the things that you can do and all the apps that you can do. I mean, this one guy said, you know what you can do? You can sit down at your breakfast table in the morning and you can pull up this app and you can scan the barcode on your cereal box and it'll tell you it'll put it on your grocery list. And then it'll tell you what store within a certain mile radius where you can buy that box of cereal, the cheapest of anywhere that you can find it. I'm standing there thinking, really, I don't even eat cereal for breakfast. Will it do bananas or something like that? And all of a sudden we look at that new piece of technological equipment and our, and our tongue starts to salivate. And we start to drool because we're thinking, oh, wow, I could do so much more and life could be so much easier and I could communicate with so many more people so much quicker. And there's all these reasons that I need to do it. Forget the dinosaur. Give me that one. Well, it's about $50 more. I don't care. I want that one. Give me the upgrade. We're consumers. We want the next one. We want the better one. We want the one that works superior than the one that we have. And you know what? Unfortunately, and as I was telling the new members this morning, unfortunately, we treat the body of Christ like that. We want the upgrade. We want the group that will do more and better and fresher and newer. And, and do we need to be relevant? Do we need to find ways to evangelize in new, fresh ways? Yes. Do we need to do that? Yes. But we're not called to be consumers. We're called into community. We're called into a permanence. We're called into a relationship. 
Churches aren't meant to be bought and sold. They're meant to, not meant to be turned over and exchanged in like we're upgrading. The body of Christ is meant to be a place where we, we come together around the fellowship in Christ. We lift him up. We worship him. We learn of him and we tell others about him. And we belong to that local body. So how is your attendance? How is your participation? I attend. I come. I'm pretty regularly regular. I sit. I listen. I sing. I even give. But I haven't really taken another step to participate. Let me encourage you. If you're part of the body, attend. If you're part of the body, participate. Find a place to get in the next step, the next class, the next opportunity. Come sing in the choir for Christmas. Come be a part of one of the dramatic scenes for Christmas. Take the next step in. Participate. And in that participation will come relationship. Some of my best relationships in the body of Christ were developed on the mission field. On a missions experience. Because in that experience, you have a chance to get to know somebody really well. Really well. And that's really where the body of Christ needs to move more and more into relationship. So we are the body of Christ, diverse, different, together. We are meant to evidence that relationship. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Let's pray. Father, in this world of individualism, where we are encouraged to just be on our own, to live on our own, to figure it out on our own, to manage our life on our own, to earn our living on our own, to take care of our lives on our own, you have brought us into a body by faith in your Son, Lord, I pray that you will teach us how to be a part of a body, that we are not independent, but we are to be interdependent on one another. Lord, we've got a lot to learn. So, Lord, I pray for all of us this morning as we sit here, no matter in what place we find ourselves, Lord, I pray that you will challenge us to the next place. Lord, I pray for those in this room who who Victory Life is just a place to come a couple Sundays a month. And it's enjoyed. I pray, Father, that they will take seriously their need to develop regular attendance here. Not one or two Sundays a month, but three or four. And then, Lord, for those that regularly attend and are a part of our worship services here, Lord, I pray that you will challenge them, Lord, to take the next step, to participate, to find a place where they can serve or become a part or be a part of a small group, be a part of of the music ministry. Take another step to participate, Lord. And then, Lord, for others, I pray that they will take down the walls and allow themselves to build relationships. And not, Lord, 
forge and work on the same relationships more. But give us new ones, Lord, new relationships in this body. That, Lord, we may not only be the body of Christ, but we might actually live it out and show it forth through the commitments that we make. For we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, before we close.